You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 119, Ho-Ho Con. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of You Don't Know Flack. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about HoHoCon, a hacker convention that took place in the early 90s for five years in a row. Today is January 13th, 2013. This is the second podcast I've recorded in 2013. I did one uh, last Sunday, and I've done one this Sunday. So, so far, for our goal of 52 episodes this year, we are at 100%. So, I don't uh, feel particularly great right now. I have a sore throat. I kind of have a headache. I went to a comedy show last night. Um, it was billed as a alum of SNL, Saturday Night Live comedy show. And we got to see Chris Kattan. Um, this, this is Mr. Peepers. Tim Meadows. What's happening? You got the latest man, Leon Phelps here. And John Lovitz performed stand-up comedy. Find my book! Uh, Chris Kattan was okay. Chris Kattan talked a lot about uh, his time being on Saturday Night Live. Tim Meadows is very funny. John Lovitz is a really, really funny guy. So uh, that was good. I was out way too late last night. Didn't feel good. Don't feel good today. Uh, Got up early this morning and went to the hospital and got to sit in a lobby for a couple of hours and finally see my brand new nephew, so happy birthday to Zephyr, who was born this morning, about um, six hours ago today. So it's funny, uh, I set up this goal of mine to record a new episode of You Don't Know Flack every Sunday for this entire year, and uh, it seems like the universe threw a lot of things at me today to make sure that didn't happen, but uh, I had to delay for a few hours, but it would have been easy to just not record an episode today, but that's not what we're going to do this year, is it? No! That's right. We're going to record 52 episodes. So, let's see, what else is going on? Oh, I had a contest this past week. A contest for photo submissions for my friend Rob Sherwin's new interactive fiction game, which is titled Cyberganked. Uh, Rob's game. I've I've uh, Rob released a uh, tech preview of the game a couple of weeks ago. It's a interactive fiction. It's uh, you know the new what the kids today call the text adventures. What I call still call text adventures. But um, uh, Rob writes his games using Hugo, which is a language that um, is a a language that's for text adventures, for writing text adventures, but it also supports displaying pictures. And so, uh, in Rob's game, as you move through the game and meet people, he has to have pictures for those people. So, it might be random bar denizen or, you know, random police officer, things like that. So, 
He's been needing some new pictures for his game, so we launched a contest this week on RobOHara.com. I had 30 people enter the contest and mail in photos. I have over 150 photos that we received, so it was a, a big success. We had a good good time this week doing that. It's always exciting when you throw a contest out there and to, to sit and watch the replies come in or the entries. So I spent a lot of time on that this week. Not much else has been going on. So with that, we are going to get started on this episode of You Don't Know Flack which is all about Hohokan. In the summer of 1983, I and most other kids that were interested in computers during that time saw the film War Games for the first time. Uh, That was a fun movie. It was exciting. It was all about computers and the threat of global thermonuclear war. But I didn't necessarily think it was realistic. It was exciting to think that things like that might happen, but um, what's a good way to explain that? In 1984, I think, the year after that, I I think 84, is when Last Starfighter came out, which was a movie about a kid who was so good at uh, this particular arcade game that aliens came down and recruited him to... uh, fly a spaceship in real life and and fight uh actually to defend the uh uh Greetings Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sewer and the Kodan Armada. Right, that. <laughs> so as far as war games went, it was fun to think that things like that could happen, that you could hack into your school's computer and change passwords. Uh, or remove, uh, you know, change your grades, things like that. But as far as it being realistic, I didn't think it was very realistic. My my school didn't have a computer at that time. So, like I said, it was a... You wished the stories like that could be true, but they were a little fanciful for that time. And then in 1983, along came the Milwaukee 414s, which was a uh, group of hackers that were mostly uh, teenagers... They hacked into several major computer systems, including the one at Los Alamos. Stories about the 414s appeared in Newsweek and Time Magazine, and even um, I had a subscription to Enter Magazine, which was the computer-based magazine from Children's Television Workshop that had split off of 321 Contact. And there was a, the Milwaukee 414s had a, a cover article, so... Uh, all of a sudden, the things that happened in Wargame, in my head, seemed like it could happen in real life. And people were hacking into computer systems. Kids that were my age or slightly older were hacking into systems. And I think that experience may have been what planted the original seed that kind of got me interested in hacking. In 1986, I gained access to a local BBS that had a message area that was the home of some a group of hackers called HIT, H-I-T, which stood for Hacker Information Team. And this message area kind of brought this, the world of hacking, uh, made it real for me, just because, like I knew from the, the Milwaukee 414s, that this kind of hacking was going on, phone hacking and getting uh, uh, codes for calling long distance and, and people learning about the phone system and, and 
sharing default passwords to get into different types of mainframes and, and electronic equipment. But I didn't know it was going on locally. And the hacker information team, or HIP, they were a local group of people. So that was the first time that I could actually, that I actually saw people I knew engaging and sharing that type of information. Uh, that BBS eventually went down, but based on that idea of HIT, I put together a message area called HERO, which stood for Hackers in Ruling the Region of Oklahoma. But it was the same idea. The idea was to get people in my area together to start sharing information. Again, this is a, another point that through my history of growing up in computers, what you'll see is I wasn't necessarily good at the technical part of doing those things. I wasn't the guy that was figuring out exploits or figuring out my way to get into systems, but I was good at organizing the people <laughs> that did those things. So uh, I could set up a BBS, set up that area, and then find the people that had that information and get like-minded people talking together. So that's that was um, uh, my input, was uh, setting up Hero. So this was all. This all took place on the Commodore for me. Uh, Apple II in the early '80s, and then moving into the Commodore uh, in the into uh, in the mid '80s, all the way through the early '90s. In 1994 is when I got my first IBM clone. My dad had had a uh, XT, I think, back to gosh, I want to say '84, '85, somewhere in there. We had a PC Junior and a XT for a while. Uh, so I was very familiar with um, IBM systems. I, I remember, I think our PC Junior came with DOS 2.0, something like that. So uh, I, you know, as much as you could, grew up on multiple systems. The Commodore, intimately, of course, but also uh, IBM's. So when I got my PC, of course, I jumped right back into the underground type BBSs, uh, the BBSs that were trading wares and, and things like that, but also hacker type information. Uh, and I found, like before, those those uh, same people that had similar interests as I did. A group of us, I talked in uh, one of the other episodes about uh, the Brotherhood of 405. Some of those same guys set up the first set of meetings for 2600, the hacker group in Oklahoma City. Around that same time when I bought a handheld scanner so I could start listening to either the police or people on cell phones or drive through windows or whatever. I'm actually, uh, one of uh, my listeners sent me a list of probably 50 different show ideas and scanners is one of the ones that's on there. And so that, that's uh, definitely gone into the pile of something I'll be talking about uh, sooner than later. Yeah, this is the time where we were doing everything. Everything we could get our hands on, everything where we could find information, find out information. This is when we were... Uh, I got my first actual copy of Linux from a trash dumpster out behind AT&T. And um, we... I mean, I was probably 20 or 21. We had jobs. We had um, things that we probably should have been doing. But instead we were, you know, looking behind computer companies and places digging in their trash, digging things out. So it was just, it was an interesting time, I guess. So I don't remember specifically where I heard about HoHoCon, but this is still the BBS era for me. It's slowly becoming, we're talking about, I first got online on the internet in the fall of 94. A co-worker of mine 
had uh, worked for a local college, actually, and they had given him an account. And the student accounts at this particular college were fairly limited. They didn't have very much drive space allocated to them. I think they could only log in uh, once, like one at a time. You couldn't log in multiple times with the same account. But this guy, because he worked for the school, had a staff account which had higher privileges. And he let us use his account. He gave it to several of us that were coworkers. And then we used his account eventually to get the password file off of the system, which is where we learned about uh, brute force hacking passwords. And uh, I'm sure he regretted ever giving us that account. <laughs> but, um, so this is the time that I discover IRC. This is in the fall of 94. Um, and I'm getting this crash course. My computer experience at that point has not, um, involved, I mean, it's involved BBSs, but not networks and not the internet for sure. So all of a sudden I'm introduced to FTP and IRC and Telnet and all these things, uh, new commands that were opening up, you know, a worldwide network to me, but you had to know how to do these things. I had, uh, spiral notebooks full of FTP sites written down, um, you know, and as one would stop working and another one would start or whatever, you would mark through them. I had IRC channels I would go to, you know, so, um, so as all these things start going, but I'm still calling BBSs. The BBS scene is still at this point for me, a lot bigger and more active than the internet was. I was using the internet and a lot of people were doing this, using the internet to get, uh, information or material games, files, whatever for our BBSs. So you would go to the internet like, I remember one time I found this FTP site that was full of Star Wars files. So I go to the FTP site, download all these Star Wars pictures and supposed leaked scripts and joke files. You know, you got everything you could get, and then I would put them on my BBS. So it was still, it was not seeing um, the internet as a replacement for BBSs. I saw it as a source of files and information I could get to put on my BBS to make my BBS uh, to give people a reason to still call it. And that worked for a year or two years. And then BBSs started drying up, at least in this area. Uh, but that, that did work for a few years. But anyway, so at some time during this, people are starting to pull files off the internet and put them on BBSs. And one of the files that got pulled down and put, I think someone uploaded it to my BBS, was an invitation to HoHoCon. So I have the invite file right here. I just found it on the internet earlier. The invite file says DFX, who is a person, Frack Magazine, and Cult of the Dead Cow proudly present the fifth annual HoHoCon. So I'm going to skim through this invitation here, just uh, hitting the highlights. First of all, it says who's invited, and the list says all hackers, journalists, security personnel, federal agents, lawyers, authors, cypherpunks, virtual realists, modem geeks, phone nerds, telco employees, freaks, code warriors, wares mongers, alien visitors, government officials, strippers, and other interested parties. The address listed is the Ramada Inn South, 
1212 West Ben White Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78704, USA. Then it lists the phone number. When is Friday, December 30th, 1994 through Sunday, January 1st, 1995. So the fifth Hohokan fell on New Year's Eve, 1994 to New Year's Day, 1995. The next section says cost. And I just went and looked up to go to attend DEF CON, uh, which is the hacker convention that most people are familiar with. DEF CON costs $200 to attend. Um, the cost of HoHoCon, the fifth annual HoHoCon in 1994-1995, was $10. So for $10, you basically got to go and mingle with the most elite computer hackers of the time. What is HoHoCon? I'm still reading from the document, by the way. What is HoHoCon? HoHoCon is the largest annual gathering of those in, related to, or wishing to know more about the computer underground. Attendees generally include some of the most notable members of the hacking and telecom community, journalists, authors, security professionals, lawyers, and a host of others. Previous speakers include John Draper, Captain Crunch, Lex Luthor, LOD, Luke Perry, Bruce Sterling, Damian Thorne of Nuts and Volts, and Chris Goggins, Eric Bloodaxe of LOD, Frack, and Teen Beat. <laughs> the conference is open to the public, and we encourage anyone who is interested to attend. Uh, then there's a section here about hotel information. It says um, the group room rate is $60 for a single or double room. It doesn't seem uh, like it was that bad. Um, what else here? It says that it has a list of types of credit cards that the hotel will accept, which may have been a bad idea to use a credit card that weekend at that hotel. There's also a note, and this is going to come up later in my story, but it says, uh, unfortunately, the hotel will not be providing airport transportation over the New Year's weekend. So... That does come into play later on. Uh, then the file includes directions, which directions for me were, this is in Austin, Texas. I live in Oklahoma City. I-35 runs through Oklahoma City and Austin, Texas. So for me, uh, the instructions were get on I-35, drive six hours south, get off in Austin, Texas. So that was pretty simple. Conference details, HoHoCon will last three days with the actual conference being held on Saturday, December 31st, starting at 11 a.m. and continuing until 6 p.m. The following is a proposed speaker list and topic list for Saturday. Uh, I'm not going to read all of these, but um, let me see if I can skim through here. The first speaker at 11 a.m. was Drunk Fucks. That's what DFX stands for. I'm going to say DFX for the rest of this podcast. Uh, he had conference introduction from 11 to 11.30. At 11.30 is John Lebkowski of Fringeware Incorporated. At 12.30 was iMaster, a.k.a. Internet Master, it says here. At 1.15 we had Doug Barnes, Jim McCoy, and Jeremy Porter of Prometheus Project. At 2.15 to 3 they had scheduled an intermission. At 3 o'clock was Luke Barrymore a.k.a. Death Vegetable of the Cult of the Dead Cow. I don't believe his name is Luke Barrymore either, but that's what the invite here says, so we'll leave it at that. 
Um, at four o'clock was Damian Thorne, who gave a presentation on cellular hacking. And then at five thirty was Stephen Ryan, who was a lawyer. I remember him who talked about recent changes in Texas computer law and what hackers need to know. By the way, if you ever want to watch a group of 500 hackers become restless, put them in a conference room all day and have your last presentation be by a lawyer. I remember people getting pretty restless at that point. There's a section here about the cost. It says the cost of admission this year is $10, which includes two tickets for the super spiffy raffle from hell. Extra tickets are available at the door. It is no surprise that there will always be people out there who will complain about paying for anything. You folks need not attend. After five years, a few more actually, we are only asking $10, which is an outrageously low price compared to the suit-infested industry conferences, which charge hundreds of dollars in registration fees, and even some of the new cons are cool and trendy, I gotta do one too, conferences, that are charging up to $50 for admission alone. Plus, we've never made anyone sleep in a tent or eat next to a table of 36 Elvis impersonators, although that was kind of cool, I guess. I don't really know what that reference is about, but um, I do enjoy that they've defended the fact that they're charging $10 to enter the conference, which is an amazing, amazingly cheap bargain today in, in 2013. My wife, kids, and I just went to see Wreck-It Ralph in 3D, and I think for the four of us it was 60 bucks. So $10 to go to a hacker conference is pretty cheap. Down under miscellaneous notes, the file says video cameras will not be allowed inside the conference room except for the people who have received prior consent to film. Still photos are fine as long as each speaker will announce whether he or she minds them being taken, although this didn't seem to stop the onslaught of flashes when Lex Luthor approached the microphone. The conference will start at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Keep this in mind when pondering whether or not to down yet another bottle of Mad Dog 2020 on Friday night. Pre-registration for the conference is not necessary. The $10 admission fee is due and payable at the door. That seems pretty incredible, too that uh, basically the biggest hackers of that day would throw a conference and not need people to uh, pre-register. I guess they were sure that they'd have enough space and resources to handle the crowd, and and, um, I think they did. Most of the rest of this file is dedicated to, eh, not all of it, but a lot of it is dedicated to things that are going on in Austin on New Year's Eve. Uh, there's a whole list of clubs and all these things. So uh, the idea is that you would go to the conference on Saturday night and then you would not be at the hotel Saturday night. You would go somewhere else. Um, there's a list of things that are going to be for sale, old T-shirts. There's another thing about uh, why the price has gone up. And it basically says that the cost of admission rose from $5 to $10 because DFX... Number one, uh, the cost of the conference room over New Year's Eve is high, uh, and that, number two, DFX has hired his own security to help manage, um, quote, the slew of young, idiotic, underdeveloped social rejects who like to play, make-believe, and pretend they're Beavis and Butthead while causing unnecessary damage to the hotel and annoying the guests and staff. This is far from K-Rad and is definitely not what HoHoCon is about. So, uh, it, I, you know, I don't know any stories, any, uh, firsthand stories of people doing stuff like that, but 
not surprising at all based on the people I met when I went there. Uh, then there at the end, there's a list of email addresses, way to contact people. And here's all DFX's uh, contact information, and it starts with email addresses, but it also does give uh, a mailing address. It also gives uh, a phone number for a BBS where you could call and contact these people. And it also uh, has his WWIV net number. So... As you, I mean, as you can see, like right now, if I when I uh, give out my information, I give you my email address, um, and people can also get me on Facebook or Twitter. But I mean, you send me an email—that's a direct connection from anywhere in the world to me. But at this time, in 1994, uh, I mean, you still have—you're still in these two worlds. You're still in the BBS world, but you're you're moving into the internet world as well. So the rest of the file uh, is quotes from people who had attended HoHoCon 93. People talking about crazy things that they did or their review, and, and of course it's positive reviews trying to get people to come to HoHoCon 94. So so anyway, leaping back into my world, I had seen this file. Someone had uploaded this file. I had, a like every good little underground hacking wannabe sysop of the time, I had a little file section on my BBS dedicated to Cult of the Dead Cow files and someone had uploaded this so when I saw this file I was pretty excited um, I don't know if I knew about HoHoCon 93 or not um, but in 93 I would have been 20 years old um, still living at home going to a community college so driving 6 hours in a Ford Festiva probably was not going to happen for me by the time HoHoCon 94 rolled around, I had moved out. I was living with Susan, who uh, I would marry in 95, and she had a Saturn SC2, a two-year-old, I hate to say sports car. I really don't want to call Saturn SC2 a sports car, but it was a zippy little car, um, and it was a lot better than a 1986 Ford Festiva <laughs> or 88, whatever it was. And I, and I wasn't working uh, at pizza hut anymore or whatever i was working at best buy which paid a little bit better so i had enough money to afford this trip so the next thing for me was to well first of all i mean i guess i would say that i had to really commit to going on this trip and and remember at this time uh how different this is than today like when i went to uh defcon a few years ago all my friends uh that i knew that were going to defcon we all talked online we made sure we were all staying at the same hotel. Everybody had everyone's cell phone number so we could text each other when we got there. Um, there was a way to validate that DEFCON was going to happen. <laughs> In other words, um, I, knew, I knew people who had gone to DEFCON. I knew DEFCON was a real thing. I had seen pictures of people who had been to DEFCON. Um, In 1994, what I have to go on to attend this hacker conference is this file. This file could have been completely made up. I wouldn't have known any difference. Um, you know, there's no... I didn't have a GPS. I had a Rand McMally map. Uh, obviously, the, the big part of driving on I-35 is pretty simple, going from Oklahoma to, to uh, Austin, Texas. But once I got to Austin, I didn't know, you know how to get around. And 
like I said, once we got there, you know, if there had been a, they'd canceled the conference. The file, when I saw this file, was months old. So when I got down there, if it had been canceled, that would have been it for me. I would have had to turn around and, and drive back. And then the other part, the, the hardest part of this, was trying to get somebody that would go with me. I did not want to go to this by myself. So I hit up several of my, you know, my, my friends and the, you know, my BBS people and everybody unsurprisingly had plans on new year's eve so i couldn't get anybody interested in going and i finally got a co-worker of mine and i think his name was paul um we were friends when we worked at best buy together and i have not spoken with him since i quit best buy in 1995 i kind of think we were mad at each other but i really can't remember i should really write my grudges down because after <laughs> After a couple of decades, I tend to forget um, who I'm mad at or why we were mad. I don't know. I don't. I don't have any uh, hard feelings towards Paul. Uh, but Paul and I both worked at Best Buy, and um, no offense to Paul, but he probably would have been like on the third string of choices. First, I wanted you know maybe a friend to go or a hacking friend or somebody like that but i couldn't get those people then you start that circle <laughs> starts expanding and you get out to people that you know on bbs's or whatever but they couldn't go and so this was definitely like a, a third tier type of choice uh, we weren't particularly close but um he wanted to go i wanted to go we could split the hotel so that's what we decided uh, so now, I know that invite said that the conference took place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Our plan was to drive down on Friday. Um, I think maybe one or both of us had to work Friday during the day. So we drove, I think we went to work Friday morning, and after work drove six hours to Austin. So we stayed at the hotel Friday night. We were there for the entire conference Saturday, which was New Year's Eve. Woke up Sunday morning, New Year's Day, and drove back. So that was our plan. And, you know, I was talking about the differences uh, between 1994 and now, like not having a GPS or not having people's uh, contact information, things like that. Um, I didn't have a laptop. I didn't have a portable computer. So I was going down to be completely offline for these, uh, for you know, for the duration of this trip as well. So Friday... Paul and I get into Susan's car because we're not driving my Ford Festiva for six hours. And we get into the, the Saturn and we drive to the hotel, which is in the uh, Ramada I mentioned, that's in Austin. And we get down there and one of the first things, there are people in the lobby. I'm kind of, once we got there, we checked in and sat in the lobby to watch people for a while. And you could tell the people that were there for HoHoCon. First of all, I think everybody was wearing all black. So anybody that came in, a group of two or three guys uh, of the right age wearing all black, we knew they were probably with HoHoCon. I do remember there, there used to be a group, I guess they're still around, called PLA, the Phone Losers of America, and they were in the lobby, and they had met several people. Uh, some of the other reviews of HoHoCon of uh, 94 <clears throat> mentioned talking to them in the, lo in the uh, lobby of the hotel. And I definitely remember them being there playing. Uh, these were guys that did phone pranks. They were kind of like uh, 
the jerky boys, you know, guys that would do phone prank calls and record it and stuff. Um, but I remember them being there. I also remember this white van outside that had a logo on the side that said ILF, which we later found out was the Internet Liberation Front, which were, like a lot of groups, they were a big deal for a little while, and then they kind of went away. But um, uh, So yeah, we definitely knew we were in the right place. Um, there was also a network room that was being set up. And like I said, at, at that time... I, I didn't know very much about networks. I was uh, a, a PC guy, but you know I knew about modems and things like that. I didn't know anything about networking cards or network protocols. But we had seen these. Um, I had, I had seen network cable running from room to room, like it would run out of one room under the door and into the next room. And there were several rooms where there was cables connected like that. Um, there was a network operations center, and we visited that. The door was open. These guys were trying to um, get the network established, and at that point in time when we got there, it seemed like uh, maybe things weren't working right or something. I don't know, but uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, action going on, so we kind of left that area. Um, So we hung out in the lobby most Friday night. I don't really have any great stories for Friday night. Saturday morning, we got up, and... uh, like I said, the conference started at 11. I think doors opened at 10, maybe. So we went down and got in line. There's this long line of hackers waiting to get into the conference room. Um, I have this specific memory of a guy who was waiting in line, I think right behind us, who was blind and was talking about a some sort of hacker contest where words or hints to the contest were hidden and one was hidden in Braille and he was joking about how easy that was for him maybe on a magazine cover or something i don't remember but i I talked with that guy for a little bit um mostly everybody is polite you know everybody's standing around waiting Uh, then the doors open and, and everybody goes into the conference room and i remember there were tables on the sides of the conference room where people could sell things and uh so we walked around from table to table a lot of people had handouts and flyers and I got almost one of all of them and kept them. I still have most of them, and I've scanned several of them. Uh, I, I'm going to put them online. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I had all this stuff, uh, you know, just gathering information, anything I could find. I remember one guy had a pamphlet or a, a, like a newsletter he was hanging out, handing out from Denver, and it had all the good places where he found things in the trash. So it was like a a map of good dumpsters to check in Denver. So just weird things like that, you know. It's very exciting. It was very cool uh, experience watching that method of exchanging information. Uh, so you have people, you know, from... I don't know how far people came from, but, um, I mean, obviously you had people from Denver. I was from Oklahoma, Texas. But you had um, a lot of the... Several of the um, Cult of the Dead Cow guys... Uh, and you can read this in, in um, Count Zero's review of Hohokan 94, flew in from Boston. So people came in from everywhere, you know. It was a big deal. So my my biggest memory of this part before the con is that Paul and I had found these seats in the second row, just slightly to the right of where the podium was. We'd put our stuff down there. And when we came back to our seats after looking at all the, the vendors and stuff, somebody had taken our stuff and just pushed it in the floor and put their stuff there. 
which is <laughs> it's kind of funny if you think about it because this is a room of I don't know how many maybe ten rows of chairs and all this stuff. So first of all, there's not going to be a bad seat anywhere, and second of all. 95% of the seats, there's nothing on. So it was like someone just came to prove their point to just throw our crap in the floor. So we put their crap in the floor, and then we picked our stuff up, and we sat in the seats. And then eventually this guy came and was like, hey, these seats are reserved. And I said, well, who reserved them? And he says, well, I did. And then he says, you know, well, do you know who I am? And I said, no. And then he told me, and I said, I still don't know who you are. And then he, you know, just just kind of flew off on the handle. Normally I would say I would be intimidated at something like that, but there was something about this guy that came off as weird, obsessive nerd, not um, menacing figure standing in front of us. So he eventually took his stuff and moved to another seat. Uh, But that kind of started things off in a a weird, I don't know, just a, a weird feeling at the very beginning, like that the, some of the people here may be really confrontational or, uh, agitated. I think part part of it was uh, the fact that everybody had been out drinking very late on Friday night, so there were a lot of groggy and uh, cranky people there Saturday morning. So, bef- right as the conference is starting, uh, they have an overhead projector setting up on the podium, and hooked up to the projector is a Super Nintendo, and attack on top of the Super Nintendo is what now I know was a console copier. At the time I had heard of the theory of console copiers, but I did had never seen one. And I have an entire episode of You Don't Know Flack, uh 103, 104. I'm gonna go look here just real quick. Episode 104 was all about console copiers. This is the first place I ever saw a console copier in person. And console copiers, if you haven't listened to that episode, was a device that sat on top of consoles like Super Nintendos and Sega Genesis uh, and later Nintendo 64s, things like that, and allowed you to take a cartridge and dump it off to some other media like floppy disks or later zip disks. Um, they also worked in reverse. You could download ROMs from the internet, put them on a disc, and then insert them into a console copier and play them on the original hardware. So I watched these guys uh, load Mortal Kombat off of a console copier, and you could see them inserting the discs. We're all watching. You know, they're killing time waiting for the conference to start. Um, But I could see what they're doing, and I was like, oh, that is cool. (laughs) That... um, I'm sure I have to go back and listen to episode 104. I'm sure I mentioned that in episode 104, though, because uh, when I saw that happening, I was like, I have to get into that. It's very cool. But so uh, right there for me, I mean, I'm I'm being exposed to things that I've heard about or some that I hadn't heard about, and um, it was pretty pretty amazing experience. So um, so eventually the conference starts. You've got the uh, Cult of the Dead Cow guys up there, Death Veggie and uh, Grandmaster Rat and um, Count Zero. And, of course, um, Eric Bloodaxe is running around who ran Frack Magazine. And I don't... It's funny because I have memories of talking to most of the CDC guys. I have. Uh, I don't think that I talked to DFX just because he was so... When you're running a con, obviously you're so busy, you know. Um, I, I don't remember even seeing Eric Bloodaxe. I think there was like maybe a, 
obviously he didn't need every starstruck teen like me, uh, you know, running up to him trying to get him to autograph issues of Frack. So it's probably just as well <laughs> that I didn't see him. But um, yeah, so I knew he was around. Um, so you know, it, it's kind of this little gathering of like, like I said, the who's who's. It would be like uh, I don't, I don't know what today what it would be like if you were you know into movies or whatever and then they had a, a conference for all the the big or rock stars you know not like even a band like a bunch of bands like all your favorite bands at one place and then you paid ten dollars and got to go mingle with them so it, it was um i don't think people use the word stoked anymore i've been watching all these skateboard documentaries over the last week or two so i started talking like a skater from the 80s right now but i was stoked it was it was super cool to be there um so now i'm not going to give a rundown of every single speech we listened to um some of them were very cool some of them were very dry um you know very technical where people would get up and talk for an hour or so about things that i did not understand so not some of them not very exciting uh some did not have any you know visuals or anything like that so i do remember being uh very interested in the cellular hacking guy um damian thorne and he showed us how to not showed us how but he showed us that it was possible to grab esn numbers off of cell phones and which basically is what you need to use to clone cell phones and he had this whole device in a a briefcase, you know, and, um, I just remember at the time, you know, the, I won't say a joke, but part of the, um, culture of DEF CON, if you will, is that, um, feds go there and now it's just kind of an accepted thing. Like people know that federal agents are there. So you don't do stupid things at these cons because they're there for a few reasons. One is, I mean, I guess you could say, well, they're there to bust people, but not really. I think they're there to learn what people are doing, just like why everybody else goes to these cons, you know, to share information, get information. Uh, but back then, and they were not sharing information. I mean, they were there to listen and stand around to see what was going on. Um, so, you know, having something like that cell phone hacker, um, I, I just thought, why? Wow. I mean, you know, now, it's only been in the last few years, I probably through Facebook, I would say, that I've even become comfortable using my real name. Uh, you know, I was Jack Flack for so long. And, you know, I knew, I mean, some of the people in here where it lists their real names, I know are not their real names. People didn't give out their real names back then. Um, so for this guy to show up at this conference and show off something like that in person, I thought was pretty ballsy. But um, so I thought a lot of the speeches were interesting. Also, most of them didn't apply to me. Like, um, I remember there was a, one of the ones was a, a long thing about, um, encryption and types of encryption that would be better. And I was like, this is really interesting. I don't have anything worth encrypting and I wouldn't know how to encrypt something if I wanted to. Uh, or like the, the cell phone hacking I thought was just super slick. I didn't have a cell phone in 94. I got my first cell phone in, uh, 98 i think the fall of 98 or maybe the spring of 99 so um yeah it was good information but not a lot of it was applicable to my life so on the sides of the vendor tables and there was time to get up 
between a lot of the speakers and walk around um, was a lady named Netta Gilboa. And a lot of people know Netta. I didn't know Netta at the time, but she uh, was the owner and editor of Gray Areas Magazine. And in 1994, when I attended HoHoCon, I had just finished two years at Redlands Community College working on a journalism degree. And then I had moved to another college where I was working on my uh, English degree with a minor in journalism. So the idea of, you know, everybody, whenever you were had something to say in the underground community you started a, a zine or an e-zine and you had these little hacker uh e-zines where people would publish issues you know like frac and cdc and all these you know there were actually a million groups a lot of them were just knockoffs of those groups but there was a lot of different things out there and seeing um netta and her print magazine it really kind of inspired me i thought it was super cool you know and i talked to her for a few minutes um Everybody, you know, I said everybody at this convention is dressed in black and probably 18 to 25. Netta Gilboa, I don't really know how old she is, but let's say she was 40-ish um, and wearing, and looked like um, like she belonged at a Grateful Dead concert, like this giant tie-dyed shirt. And um, so she didn't look like she fit into the culture necessarily, um, but I really liked... Like I said, I like the magazine. I like the magazine, and more than I like the idea of the magazine. And uh, she had two or three issues available there. And uh, I think maybe she had, was sold out of some or something. But I bought one of all the issues that she had there. And I still have those. Um, but uh, uh, so we, we talked just briefly in passing, you know. But I thought that she was pretty cool. Uh, so later on. Netta Gilboa in the afternoon, she's one of the speakers and she starts talking about something. I I don't, don't even really remember, but what I remember is this guy who went by the name of Loki, who is not somebody I knew or had ever heard of. And I only know that name uh, from other people's reviews of HoHoCon got up and basically confronted her about things that had happened on IRC and she had lied about something and he had kicked her from a channel and they had banned each other or something. And I was like, holy crap, what, what is this weird drama going on? Um, and she's up at the podium and this guy is standing up in the crowd and, and, um, so they begin throwing barbs and, and I, uh, she asked everybody if, if, you know, if everybody wanted her to stay out of, uh, hack the irc channel than she would and they were going to do a show of hands or and just it was, it was very very strange confrontational type thing um but you know she i remember her being very nervous at the time but also she didn't you know walk out she didn't run away she stood up there and defended herself so i thought yeah this this lady's pretty cool so um i thought it was kind of i mean i don't know I don't know Loki. I don't know the guy who stood up. I don't know what the deal was. I don't pretend to know any of that. And um, my guess is uh, the only people that remember were the people that were involved. But, um, yeah, he came off, I thought, kind of bad, you know, standing up in the middle of someone's speech and um, doing that. But um, 
Anyway, I th- she was like, I think, the next to last speaker. Then they had the, the lawyer guy who started talking about laws and stuff, and everybody is, is trying not to fall asleep at this point. Um, most of the people at the conference are ready to go out for New Year's Eve. Uh, so he spoke for a little bit, and then they did the raffle drawing. And I don't remember all the things that were given away. I know there was like an, a, an acoustic modem. There were several things. Uh, but they, they drew one guy's name... And he won a, uh, uh, like a telco operator hard helmet, like a, a helmet that a, a phone repairman would wear. And when the guy went on stage, I recognized him. He was another guy from Oklahoma City. So I guess he had seen the same file. We, we didn't drive down there together. We weren't, we weren't there together, but uh, we saw each other and, and said hi. Um, so anyway, they, they had their drawing, and now it's time for New Year's. And... So they come out and, and, you know, at the end of the conference, they say, please don't stay here in the hotel. Um, and immediately what we decided we were going to do is stay there at the hotel. <laughs> I didn't know Austin at all. I didn't know where to go. Um, there were these lists of places and, and, uh, I wasn't friends with anybody there except for Paul who had, you know, been sitting there next to me the entire time and watching this thing and asking me questions. Um, half of which were like, super easy questions to answer. And the other half, I didn't know the answers to. So, um, and Paul worked in the computer department with me. So obviously he was familiar with computers, but he was familiar with computers on the level of, you know, playing games or doing things like that. So it wasn't a good person as far as bouncing ideas off or brainstorming or anything. But, uh, I, I hate going to cons like that by myself. It's all, for me, it's it's so much more fun to uh, to share those things with somebody, you know, to to go to the speeches together and talk about them and things like that. So, uh, so you know, he did meet that purpose, and I, I hope he had a good time. So we're hanging out at the lobby, Paul and I. Well, I think Paul actually what happened is um, Paul went back to the room to go sleep off a hangover, if I remember correctly. And so I went to the lobby, kind of desperate to find somebody I knew or somebody that said, hey, we're going to place X or whatever, you know, and I just couldn't find anybody. And eventually, Netta Gilboa comes out with, uh, I think, two friends. I think maybe she met two people in the lobby, and they're on the phone trying to get a taxi, and nobody could get a taxi to come to the hotel to pick people up and take them to downtown Austin because it's New Year's Eve. It's going to be hours of wait, and they can't get a ride anywhere. So, you know, I had just bought the magazines a few hours ago from Netta, and so I think this is my this is my end. This is the people I'm going to hang with. Um, not, not just for the night, but these are going to be my end uh, to the hacking underworld or whatever. Whatever, uh, you know, I was a big fish mostly in my mind (laughs) let's say that but i was a big fish in that small world of oklahoma city um whereas i was a very 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 i wasn't even a minnow in this world of uh of these guys and i wanted to talk to people and i wanted to learn more you know that there's the part the the hacker curiosity that i think we all had and and still have many of us is not not the curiosity of wanting to tear stuff up or break stuff, but the curiosity to know how things work and to ask questions and learn about things, you know? And I think that's really what, um, you know, I've always loved writing, but I've always had that curiosity. And I think those two things combined are what originally pushed me towards journalism. Um, 
and wanting to go out with these people and ask them questions and, and things like that. So it's just, um, so it's pretty exciting. So what happened is, well, they were trying to get a ride to get a taxi to a local restaurant. And I overhear this and they can't get a taxi and they can't find anybody and they're standing around. And I walk over and I say, hey, I bought the magazines from you earlier. Would you guys like a ride to the restaurant? I have a car. And so they're, they're super grateful and they say, oh, yes, we would. We'd really like a ride, you know. I said, let me get my car. I'll pick you up. So I go get the car. Paul's still back in the room sleeping. I get Netta Gilboa and her two friends into my wife's Saturn SC2 and drive them to the restaurant. The restaurant turns out to be a sushi place. When you are 21 years old and have lived your entire life in Oklahoma, you may or may not have been exposed to sushi. I had not. Uh, if you are familiar at all with the layout of the United States, you will see that Oklahoma is very far from an ocean. <laughs> it's kind of in the middle of the country, and sushi is not a big thing, at least then, was not a big thing uh, in Oklahoma. So I had never had sushi, I was not interested in trying sushi, and I was not going to have sushi for dinner that night. So uh, my little plan to hop on their bandwagon and, and tag along for dinner kind of failed as we arrive at this sushi restaurant. So I, uh, let them out, tell them that I had other plans, but, uh, that I was glad to give them the ride. And then I found my way back to the hotel and went back and sat in the lobby and eventually went and, and sat in the hotel room. <laughs> so it was a little pathetic, uh, attempt by me to, uh, to join in on the festivities. But if I remember correctly, I do remember Paul getting up, and the two of us had gone. Uh, we went back to check out the network room. And now the network room had multiple uh, terminals where people could log in. And if you put your name on a... Uh, there was a sheet of paper on the wall. There were a couple of sheets of paper, in fact. There was one that you could put on the wall and you put your alias. And then they would assign you a hohocon.org account. So I had done that. Uh, and I did eventually get... Uh, an account, but the thing is, once I had an account, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, I mean, the only thing I could do once you logged in there was to start, uh, I mean, I could tell net from there into one of my other accounts using a network that had just been set up by all these hackers who are really good at stealing people's credentials. So I thought that doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, you know, when I went to, DEFCON a few years ago, it, they, they, um, the warnings that go out about DEFCON are almost like the boogeyman. Don't take your laptop. Don't have your uh, wireless turned on. If you take your laptop, format it before you go. Format it when you get home. Don't leave your cell phone on. There's all these rules, you know, because people are there uh, trying new techniques, new exploits, or just to look for easy targets. So... Nobody had really told us that before uh, about HoHoCon, but I knew it in the back of my head. I was not, you know, walking around with, uh, you know, flashing my credit card or, you know, doing any of these things, uh, you know, to make things easier. And obviously, once we had got, you know, access to this computer network, I didn't want any part of that. So, you know, I wasn't going to log in somewhere and um, uh, check mail or use an account that I use. It was just going to burn that account. So uh, we didn't spend too much time in there. And I, Honestly, I I can't even remember what we did for New Year's. I think we probably spent it in the hotel room. Uh, either that or in the lobby, standing around watching people. But 
So one thing I want to read uh, is from Denna Gilboa's review of Hohokan 1994, which she uh, published on the internet whenever she got got back. And I think it probably I know it's in um, it's included in a, one of the frac issues. I'll I'll track down which issue and put that in the show notes. But uh, here's a paragraph that uh, is in her review. After the speeches, I sold more magazines thanks to Loki, who inadvertently made way more people interested in me. Ha 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 ha. Some of them said they liked or loved my dress, some of them hugged me, and some of them signed up for a subscription and gave me their data. I then headed off for dinner at yet another sushi restaurant. Laughing gas and slime came along with me. Mr. Spock, who agreed to lose his sushi virginity to me, and jokingly said that way he'd get mentioned in my review. I thought he was one of the three coolest people I hung out with at the con. I hope to get more time with him at a con in the future, and I'd even be willing to go try his favorite type of food. The sushi place we picked was awesome. I was sorry I hadn't found it sooner. It's almost too bad Hohokan will be in another city next year. I also want to mention the elite Jack Flack, who drove us to the restaurant when cabs were scarce on New Year's Eve. He didn't want any sushi or any money, He even got lucky and gave a ride to people who probably would have done the same thing for him under the same circumstances. Thanks. So there you go. There's my claim to fame. And let me tell you, I uh, sent more people to that review. (laughs) I got so much mileage out of that. Uh, You know, when people would say... uh, you know, oh, you went to Hohokan? I say, oh, yeah, go look up this review and search for the word flack. It, it's in there, you know. Um, so, I mean, I would have given her and her friends a ride to Mexico if I thought that she would put it, put my alias in her review that ended up in a magazine or whatever. So, I, that was far and away, you know, the, the coolest thing for me was to get. If I get name-dropped in something like that, I thought it was really cool. So, Anyway, um, I know I have a lot more Hohokan stories to tell. Um, my part of it was pretty mild. Uh, you know, we got up Sunday morning, and people were either asleep or already gone, and we went out and got loaded up the car, and we left. We drove home. Um, so let me open up. I'm going to open this folder up. Oop. This isn't everything um, that I got, but um, like I said, I still have a lot of the those flyers uh, that I collected from HoHoCon, and I've scanned most of them in, and I, I will put these online. I'll, I'll link these in the show notes as well. Uh, the first thing is uh, for a cellular hacking training video, and it talks about all the things that it covers, including uh, programming EPROMs and ESNs on Radio Shack brand transceivers, law enforcement interception with the cellmate briefcase size monitoring device, building programming cables and using software with Motorola brand cellular phones. Uh, so if you fill this out, uh, probably no longer good. Um, but for $25, you can get this video. It's normally a thirty nine ninety five, but he had a special Hohokan uh, sales price there for us. Uh, let's see what this is. This is an issue of Connected, and it says Austin's High Tech Community Guide. 
And mainly I got it because on the front it says over 300 Austin BBSs listed. So that was, um, uh, you know, worth having. Getting BBS, anytime you could go somewhere and get BBS numbers, uh, that was always a, a good find. Okay, this is the Denver Trash Center, which is the um, <laughs> the, the layout. It says, um, Official TNO Treasure Map by Dead Cat, August 6, 1993. And um, it has a map of some area in Denver. I guess if you're familiar with Denver, there's the intersection of Orchard and Yosemite. And there are all these little icons of, of trash dumpsters. <clears throat> AT&T, nice trash. Executive and Bell Atlantic seem to use same trash can. Uh, and it has a few others. AT&T GBCS out and open. Uh, U.S. West Info Systems. Very easy access. That's on the corner of... It's right off of Nichols on the corner of Yosemite and Dry Creek if you're in the Denver area. This is a 1993. I do not know in 2003 if those places still exist, but if you want to go dig through some trash dumpsters in Denver and let me know if it is still uh, easy access, then uh, that'll be good information. Uh, here's a flyer that says subscribe to 2600 Magazine and learn what nobody else teaches. So this says uh, sample copies are available for $4. You can uh, call this phone number and ask questions or help them out. I don't know what a going subscription rate right now is for 2600 but in 1994, it, for one year, it was $21. Uh, two years for 38 three years for $54. Uh, lifetime subscription, 260 That seems like a pretty good deal. I should have done that. Instead, I buy them at Hastings off the uh, rack and uh, have to remember to go up there every time a new issue comes out. This is, I don't even know what the hell this is. I, there was a few of these. This one has a, uh, this handout has a giant headline that says, Mock Him. And it says, We have come from darkness to mock Him, the Lord of light, and defile those who are weak and who cling to Him. We are the warriors of the forces of darkness who know the weakness and turn against it. Enslaver and his peons are the followers of submission who run in fear from life and cloud their minds with the stench of weak need trembling. It's an entire thing that goes on like this. There's nothing on here that says anything about computers or anything else. But it's basically to get you to, I guess, um, worship the devil? I don't, really <laughs> I don't know what this is all about. Uh, there's another one that says, Rise Up Against the Enslaver. And um, it's the same type of thing that basically... Uh, at the end it says, There is no escape but to join the goat lord Belial and to live the rage of the lords of darkness. Hey. Nope. Wrong LOD. Lords of darkness are not Legion of Doom. But speaking of Legion of Doom, uh, here's another one that says, uh, You asked for it, now pay up. And I actually did. Um, the, it has two different types of Legion of Doom t-shirts the first one says the hacker war lod versus mod and it has a, a u.s map and on the back it says lod one mod zero but on the other one it says uh, legion of doom internet world tour and on the back it says hacking for jesus and then it has a bunch of uh uh websites uh I, i'm assuming that have been hacked or something 
But uh, $15 per shirt. This is a mail order. I don't know if um, it has uh, uh, Chris Goggins' name here at the end with his address. I won't put that in the podcast, but I don't know if uh, Chris still lives in the same place as he did um, in 1993 or 1994, and I don't know that this offer is still valid. So I would not send Mr. Goggins any money. I would, actually, based on what I know on Facebook. He's a pretty likable guy, and I would send him. Chris Goggins, if you're listening to this, if you're still selling t-shirts, I will take one. Except for it says XL, and I will need a bigger size shirt than that. <laughs> um, so I did buy an LOD t-shirt, and I did buy a Cult of the Dead Cow t-shirt. Uh, the one that has uh, something about uh, O.J. Simpson and Taco Bell and making a run for the border. I'd have to go dig it out. But I still have those t-shirts out in the garage, and I've heard that they're somewhat uh, desirable at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I got some stickers, and I got some other cool things like that. So, um, It was, HoHoCon was eye-opening for me. I think it was just the next level of, I talked about, watching war games and then I watched, you know, and then I, I saw the hacker information team and, and, uh, and hero and those groups where there were people hacking that were around me. And then, you know, once you started reading these files, you started reading frack. We all read frack, um, which is, um, Chris's old zine or, um, uh, Eric blood X. And, we all read cult of the dead cow. And so they were, these people were like superheroes, I guess, in a way. I mean, they were, um, almost like imaginary, you know, they were characters and, and in the, the literal sense of the word, they were characters. They were bigger than life. These stories and attending my first hacker con turned these people into, uh, reality. I mean, seeing, um, death veggie, you know, up talking for an hour, someone who's, I had read his files and, 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 you know, read it, it wasn't, you know, because of the way BBS has worked, things got passed around. So whatever you could say about BBS as being tiers, like a top tier BBS, I don't know. I would never say that, but, um, like calling the top tier being the source, like whatever, wherever the cult of the dead cow people, I was so far away from that. And there was no direct connection. Nobody from, uh, CDC called my BBS. I didn't call their BBS, but these files found their way around, uh, you know, the modem, the modem scene. And so, I mean, by the time they got to me, it was reading, you know, you're so it's almost like uh, if you watch reality TV shows or, um, you know, where you see people on TV or, or in magazines and you read about them or you read about their lives and you kind of start to feel like you know them, but you don't really know them and they have no idea who you are. There's a little reality check there. Um, I have had that happen to me many times at um, conventions, video game conventions, hacker conventions, because for my uh, avatar online, I've always used a picture of my face. So people read what I write, they listen to the podcasts, they see my face, and in their head, it makes you feel like that you know me. Um, which, I'm not saying I don't want to know people, but 
it, it's kind of, I don't know, it's almost like it, your mind plays a trick on you. So then when those people see me, they talk to me like that we know each other when I've never met them before. So sometimes I, I feel a little, like I'm a little caught off guard. People will start throwing out uh, a conversation that you would have with somebody who you know, and and it takes me a minute to realize they're referencing uh, things that I've written online or things that I've put in a podcast and that we've never actually had a conversation before. So it's, it's kind of a weird, weird thing. And, and so this was the reverse of that for me when I went there, I had read those files. I had I knew these people through magazines and, and through BBS files and stuff. Um, so getting to actually meet people, they were the celebrities of, of my computer world. And, um, so yeah, it, it was really exciting. Um, so after HoHoCon, I decided that I would start going to more cons, you know, uh, and then I didn't <laughs> because that was the last HoHoCon. Um, and the last HoHoCon, I, I mean, in 94, right before that is when they had had, I think the first, uh, or maybe the, the second, I think it was the second, I think it started in 93, but they just had the second DEF CON. Um, so I, I think about this at that time, this was the fifth HoHoCon and there had only been two DEF CON. So, uh, HoHoCon definitely, uh, precedes DEF CON. Um, but there weren't any more HoHoCons after that. I don't really know why, but, um, things shifted to DEF CON and, you know, some of the other cons like that. So, uh, the next con that I actually made it to was DEF CON and that was, 15 years later, uh, I guess, uh, pretty, no, pretty close. Um, 2007 is when I went to DEF CON. So, uh, there was definitely a, a long, a long, uh, break between cons for me, but, um, it wasn't due to lack of interest. I thought it was very interesting. Um, so that, that's my recollections of HoHoCon 94. That is probably a very, very small, amount of, I know for a fact, that is a very, very small amount of what took place at HoHoCon. Uh, I'm going to add in the show notes a few links. The first one is a link to um, Netta Gilboa's review of HoHoCon 94. Um, Netta is uh, a character. She, at that time, was uh, very involved in meeting different hackers and hooking up with hackers and all these things. So you'll get to read uh, about some of that in her review. So that'll be the first link. Uh, the second one is Count Zero's review of HoHoCon 94. And Count Zero being um, uh, one of the long-standing Cult of the Dead Cow members. And he flew to, uh, to Austin out of Boston. Austin and Boston, those rhyme. Uh, with Death Veggie, also from CDC. So, um, obviously, when you read their their uh, review of CDC uh, or their review of HoHoCon, it's it's a bit different than mine. Uh, and then the first thing, or the third thing, I will link to is the fr- issue of Frack that also had uh, several shorter reviews of HoHoCon '94 in it. So, um. Don't take this podcast as a uh, review of HoHoCon 94. This is a this is my experience at HoHoCon 94. There was an awful lot of other things that happened. So some of these other reviews, if you uh, skim through those, I mean, even just look through them. But there was some, uh, you know, a lot of different experiences. So uh, I think that would be good. 
You know, one thing that I would add um, to that is some of those people. I have um, a spiral notebook of notes that I took during presentations at HohoCon 94 because I keep everything. And at one point, I wrote a handwritten note to Death Veggie and said, I want to contact the cult of the dead cow. How do I do that? I passed this notebook up there and he wrote the BBS name and he wrote the new user password, which you needed to apply for an account. And then I think he also drew some upside down pentagrams on my notebook and a few other things. Um, and I kept that for, I mean, I still have it, but I, I mean, I thought that was the coolest thing because it was almost like, I mean, it is borderline, uh, going up to somebody and getting their autograph. This is like the next, I mean, it's, it was an excuse. I mean, I did want the BBS. It wasn't like I, I tricked him for that information. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I treated it like getting someone's autograph. Like I held on to this paper, you know, which is kind of silly. Um, and several of the people that I've mentioned, I know, uh, Chris Goggins is now on my Facebook and death veggie is on my Facebook and, uh, Grandmaster Rat, when I went to New York City a few years ago, gave me a two-day tour of uh, New York City and is one of the absolute nicest guys. So, you know, there was this, I don't know, thing of, like, wanting to go meet all these hackers because, um, you know, I would get all this information and I would, you know, I don't know what I would do with any information if anybody gave me any information, but... Um, the people that I, that I did respect, it's funny that like, I guess life comes, you know, full circle. And, and a lot of these people now, um, at least some of them, we have friends in common, which is kind of how I ended up seeing them on, uh, on Facebook. And so it's interesting now as, as we're all a little bit older to talk, um, and, and not that, um. I mean, I'm friendly with uh, some of these people. I'm not close friends with any of them, but uh, it's just interesting now to uh, look back and, and see, you know, just talk. And, and it, it's a cool thing. So anyway, that, that's pretty much my memories of HoHoCon 1994. I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, episode 120, which will be next weekend. I'm not sure what the subject topic will be. I know MAME cabinets has been suggested, also radio scanners. Um, there's been uh, several suggestions, but if you want to send me a suggestion or multiple suggestions, you can email those to me at robohara at robohara.com. Uh, also, my good friend Peachy, uh, who I know from the Retroist and who does 8-bit music. He does 8-bit throwback music. Um has offered to do a theme song for the podcast. So I know he's working on that and that is going to be super cool. Um, I will, uh, uh, add a link in the show notes as well to some of Peachy's work, but he just does uh, super, super awesome eight bit versions of songs and stuff. He's really cool. So, um, but basically that's it. So, Hey guys, we are two for two in 2013. So, we're going to keep it moving. We'll have a new episode next week. Thank you guys for tuning in as usual. Uh, new episodes are always at podcast.robohara.com. You can email me, robohara at robohara.com. I'm on Twitter as Commodore. Uh, I'm on Facebook. So are all the people that were at HoHoCon. We're all on Facebook. So uh, come on Facebook. Look me up. And, uh, oh, 
and I forgot to mention, uh, You Don't Know Flack also has its own uh, page now on Facebook. I just created a page, and uh, so if you go to Facebook, look up You Don't Know Flack and click like. As I'm recording episodes, uh, you know, throughout the week, as I'm working on subject ideas, that's all going to go there. Um, not today because I recorded it so late, but typically in the future, uh, once I have the episodes done, you're going to get the first heads up of when they've been posted. So if, if uh, you're into all that stuff, go look up uh, You Don't Know Flack on Facebook and add me there. So with that, I will conclude episode 119 and we will see you next week.